Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, cats and dogs, and kangaroos everywhere moaning, I can't find a darn thing in this pouch. It's Thursday at 3 o'clock, you know what that means, it's Tea with BBP. Live from Michigan State University, it's yours truly, Bill Van Patten, a.k.a. BBP, international superstar and diva of SLA. And speaking of kangaroos... Oh, man. <laughs> With me as usual are the people who put a hop in my daily life. Oh. Angelica Kramer and Walter Hopkins. That was a compliment, you guys. Say yes, hi. Hey, that's yeah, a good thing, right? Yeah, nice. you Thank guys you put a hop. Oh. Every time I see you guys, I put a little spring in my step because you guys make me hop. So there. So how was your Thanksgiving? I, I, Angelica, I haven't seen you since uh, Actful. I know. I know. It was good. Very quiet. Yeah, very quiet. Mm-hmm. Did you do the uh, turkey thing and all that kind of stuff and... No, I had a turkey-less Thanksgiving. Really? So mm-hmm. would you? I mean, so did you like have a dinner at all? Or? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just okay. no turkey. No, no turkey. turkey. Wow. How about you, Wally? I had turkey. You did? I done did it. You did it? Did you stuff it and everything? Who, at your house, who cooks? You or Laura for Thanksgiving or both? Well, we were, we were actually out uh, visiting family, so my sister did the cooking this year. So I made uh, two pies, an apple pie and a pumpkin pie. Ooh. Wow, Laura nice. made the my wife made the crust and I made the fillings. So, yep, that was our contribution to Thanksgiving dinner this year. I oh, like it. Nice. Well, we hope everybody out there in our listening audience had a good Thanksgiving. I unfortunately came down with the flu on Thanksgiving. Oh no! Uh. I have been sick for an entire week now. I have eaten so much chicken soup. I am starting to speak Yiddish. It is just <laughs> no. It's true. What does that have to do? With I, no chicken soup. You know, I mean, I'm just fatutsed over the whole thing. I really am because I hate being sick. It drags me down. I'm tired all the time. I know. I know. Walter wants me to go. I'm so tired, <laughs> but I am. I just. This flu is just, I can't shake it. It's like, it's terrible. I've had it for a whole week. And then I looked at the calendar. Today's December 1st. That's crazy. What the heck? What the heck? December 1st. I mean, like, wasn't it just November 1st the other day? Oh, yeah. Whoa. I feel like it was just September. (laughs) (laughs) This year has flown by. It's impossible. Oh, my gosh. That's a problem when you get older, too. Time just keeps getting, like, speeds up. I think Einstein was wrong. I think actually this, it's not about a, spa, a, a space-time continuum. I think it's about your age. Time, time speeds up when you get older. Next thing you know, I'll just be – Walter will be doing my eulogy and Angelica will be a pallbearer. <laughs> I sure hope I'm not. Strong. I'm You're strong. You're strong. But, you are, yes. Yeah. But I don't think we want to go there. Right no, now. I don't no. think we will. No, no, no. I don't think it's. I'm not option. ready. To, I'm not ready to kick it yet. But let me tell you, when I get sick like this, I just go. Oh, I just want to stay home. So y'all, and you out made there, it out for the show. I'm I so did. Impressed. I missed my one o'clock meeting. I was. I feel so bad. I had a, a meeting before this, and I was home. Literally, I won't tell you what I was doing, but I was homesick, and I collapsed at noon and took an hour nap, and I didn't wake up until one. And then I just kind of recouped myself so I could come in and do the show because I didn't, you know, want to let our fans down. But, boy, I hope I can pick my energy up here in a minute because I am just, I'm like sagging into my chair. Like I said, oh, anyway. We can be the kangaroos. Get you. Mm-hmm. What did he say we are? Hop. Hop. Get us, and get what's funny, 
<laughs> see that I'm coughing already. So uh, ask, go ahead. Ask me what I did on Tuesday, by the way. Ask me what I did on Tuesday. Hey, Bill, what did what did you do on Tuesday? Well, thank you, Angela, for asking me. Um, I I did a podcast with our wonderful dean, Christopher Long. Oh, cool. He's got those traitor. Um, he's traitor. Got, he's traitor. No, he's no. He's doing other podcasts. <laughs> no, 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 no. It was nice because I got to put a plug in our show too. But I want to put a plug in for the dean and what he's doing. Um, you know, he's got that whole new podcast division in the college now. <clears throat> And he's got a podcast they do every other week called um, Liberal Arts Endeavors or Liberal Arts Endeavor, the Liberal Arts Endeavor. And so they asked me to be on the show. They interviewed me. He's got these two great interns who, who prepare questions and ask you questions. And then he sits in on and, and follows up questions and so on. It was a lot of fun. And they asked me a lot about second language acquisition and second language teaching and so on. So those of you out there who want to listen to that show, go to the dean's website. It's cal.msu.edu slash about slash podcasts, um, and you'll find it. Otherwise, just go to the College of Arts and Letters website here at MSU and navigate your way to the podcast section. Um, but it's in there, and it was, it was only a half-hour interview. It was kind of fun. They asked me lots of questions. Students were really sharp. I was really impressed with them. Hannah and Sam, they were really, really, really on top of things. So that was fun. So, And I think I spent all my energy on Tuesday. That's why I've had like a relapse since then. I, and then I taught yesterday, and I, I got home last night. I was so tired. Hmm. I just, my there poor dog, my poor dog looked at me. My poor dog looked at me like, are you taking me out, Daddy? And I just handed him a leash, and I said, here, go do it yourself. Oh, <laughs> poor just, Murphy. No I know. I felt so bad. He's not getting any walks these days because I just, just like open the door, and I watch him do his business, and he comes in because that's all I can that's all I can handle these days. But anyway, but December 1st, my gosh, we only have one week of school left. Next week is the last week of classes. Yeah, that's scary. I know. Have you all done your, do you guys do Christmas shopping and stuff like that? Hmm. Yes, I do. Oh, so you got my present already. Well, I haven't purchased a single thing, actually. Oh. That's why I see December 1st and I think, oh, no, <laughs> that's not good. You can go to my Amazon.com wish list if you want. Mm-hmm. All right, you go right ahead and send it along to me. <laughs> I'm sure it'll be out of my price range, but... You know, no, no, because <laughs> notice I directed you to Amazon.com. I did not direct you to my Prada oh, that's right. or my Armani yes. wish list. That's for Correct. other people. So mm-hmm. yeah, there you go. Or Bloomingdale's. Would you, or, you can tell me. Are you, what'd you get for Agalicor? You said you haven't done any shopping. I haven't done any shopping. Okay. I have not purchased a single thing. Okay, well. well there's I, still time. There's time. Have you gotten anything on Gallica? Nope. Nada. Mm-mm. I'm not a big Christmas shopper. I used to be, but I, I'm just, I, the, the, the holidays just go, I don't know. I get depressed during the holidays. How do you say nada? And, and, oh, no, isn't it zilch? You say nada. Zilch, Yiddish. Nix. Nix. Nada. Okay. All right. Well, enough of that stuff. I don't want to talk about Christmas shopping. Bah humbug. Oh. Nice. Well played. There you go. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Have you gotten I, our, our presents for us yet? Yeah, that is the real question. Exactly. <laughs> Actually, I... From your uh, Armani Prada <laughs> websites. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you guys, you, guys, you guys are my Bed Bath & Beyond list. That's where you guys oh, are. What? <laughs> Wow, slap in the face. Uh, I got to go. I just remembered I have somewhere else to be. <laughs> me too. <laughs> yeah, she's got to be at that computer at, at Prada.com looking for my guest. <laughs> okay, we've got a great topic today. It's a recurring topic, which <clears throat> I'm going to comment on a little bit. If I cough, I, I'm going to apologize to the audience out there. If I cough, I, It's very hard for me to suppress a cough when I'm talking this much because I, I run out of air and my lungs are so congested it's really hard. But anyway, so if I cough, I apologize in advance. Our topic today is the conscious knowledge and its role in second language acquisition. We've already had a lot of tweets about it and a, and a lot of different things. So I'll read some of those in a minute. And we've got emails, 
uh, on it, and I'm sure people on Mixler are going to be saying all kinds of things because it is a. It's just it's it's like bell bottoms, you know. It's one of those topics that comes and goes and mm-hmm. comes and goes, you know, or like a boomerang, just you know, just keeps <laughs> coming back. So. Um, uh, we will get into that topic in just a minute. Uh, just let me remind everybody that during the show, we have our standard SLA challenge question. I will give you the question in a few minutes. And the first person to make it to the phones with the answer wins a prize. Oh, and guess what, guys? Guess what? About our phones. What? what? We have more phone lines now. I said, what? Yeah, well, we do. <laughs> Child, we got new phone lines. We got extra phone lines. So Dustin is ready. He has an extra pair of hands helping him push all those little buttons. So it's going to be a mad dash to get to those, um, those new phone lines. So I'll give you the question in a few minutes, and the first person to make it to the phone lines will win a prize. And the same for the Diva Challenge question. I'll read that question later on the show, and you'll have time to call in with the right answer and win a prize. I got a good one today for that one. Yay. Mm. Yay. Mm-hmm. Um, and we also have, of course, Angelica's Quote of the Week and Walter's Read of the Week coming up later. The number to reach us at, if you do not know it by heart, write it down. It is 517-884-4321. Angelica, give me that number again. 517-884-4321. And Dustin is waving through the glass case saying, yeah, call me, call me. You can tweet if you want. If you're a Mixler, you can talk to Angelica through Mixler and, and, and put some out there. Um, but again, we want you to call in. We like the interaction. So call and talk to us. Again, Walter, the number is what? 517-884-4321. Uh, that's great. You know, Walter, I think we ought to take your voice and we ought to, we ought to replace Siri with Walter's voice. I want to be Siri someday. I think that would be great. Walter, say this, so repeat after me. Say this. How can I help you? How can I help you? See, mm-hmm. would you rather Very hear that pleasing. than Absolutely. that Siri? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. Okay. I, I told you guys that story about that little that video I saw on YouTube about the uh, Italian grandmother, the guy trying to teach his Italian grandmother how to use Siri. Mm-mm. Oh, yes. And I she, oh, it was hysterical. And she go, why do I want to talk to Siri? And, and <laughs> she tries to talk to the phone like it's a person. It was hysterical. <laughs> <laughs> And Siri didn't understand. Siri didn't understand her her accented Italian English, and it was just. And then she gets mad at the phone. It was just. It's really cute. It's really funny. Anyway, so, all right. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. There I go. There goes my throat. Can I pop? Can I pop? Let me just get a drink of water. Walter, say something for me while I get a drink. All of right. Water. We are happy to be back in the studio for the last. Well, we were away last week for Thanksgiving, and then the two weeks prior to that, mm-hmm. we were at, we were live at conferences at Actful. And before the week before that, my willa. So it's good to be back in the studio. It seems kind of weird, actually. It's like, oh yeah, we have this place where we come and do the show. Yeah, and on our regular new time, we got new phone lines, new equipment setup. Dan is over there just working some magic on some board. I don't know what he's got going on with the computer there, but anyway, lots of new equipment. Check it out. Okay. Well, anyway, our topic this week is the role of conscious knowledge in second language acquisition. And like I said before, it's it's a topic that that keeps coming around um, because I, I have a re- I think I know why it keeps coming around. Which I'll comment on in a minute because there's some tweets here I want to I want to refer to, but the basic question is is is, is twofold, um, or or base, actually the basic question is just this: Does conscious knowledge aid in the acquisition of language? And um, for various reasons, I think we can discount that conscious knowledge turns into unconscious knowledge because, as we've said before, the two are qualitatively different. Um, you familiar, Angelic? You look at me. Are you familiar with my water, ice, and water, oil metaphor? I am not. Oh, then you missed the plenary at um, Actful. 
I was working. That super plenary where they were, they, their fire marshal had to come because we had too many people trying to cram in there to come uh, watch me and Steve talk. Steve Krashen. But anyway, the, the problem with conscious becoming conscious knowledge is that conscious knowledge is just qualitatively different. And the metaphor I use is when you change water to ice, you freeze water. Now, does the molecular content of water change when it becomes ice? It does not. It does not, right? H2O is H2O, whether it's water, ice, steam, or anything else, right? But can you, through some process that you know of, change water to oil? Do you know what the chemical composition of olive oil is? I don't, but you can if you're magic. Hermione could. Yeah, Hermione. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. if you've got magic, you could do it, right? Olive oil, for example, is this big, long, um, organic compound with about 18 different strings in it. And um, it has elements in it that aren't are just basic H2O. And so the problem is, is that under no known method can you change water into oil. And so uh, I like to talk about conscious knowledge and unconscious knowledge being like that because one is water and one is oil. And you, there's no process by which we can take that conscious knowledge and turn it into unconscious knowledge. And there's a couple of tweets about that, so that'll come up in a minute. Um, so the question then basically is, can conscious knowledge somehow aid acquisition? And that, my friends, is a very perplexing question, and it troubles the field tremendously. Um, let's first of all remind everybody that learners can and do create unconscious knowledge of language, or what we typically call implicit knowledge. They can and they do. In fact, they have to. They have to or they couldn't perform at advanced levels. You cannot perform at advanced levels of language without some kind of implicit knowledge. The question then becomes, how does that unconscious or implicit knowledge get there? And does consciousness have some kind of role? And if it does have some kind of role, is it a significant role? Um, and muddling this whole discussion is the following. A distinction between conscious knowledge, and you ready for this? Conscious processes. So you can be thinking about what you're doing, but engaging unconscious knowledge while you're doing it. And that, I think, is confusing to people. My um, brain doesn't get it. So, for example, like what I mean is the following. If, if I say to you, Walter, in, if I say, um, um, I, I can't even think right now. Um, I, I'm trying to think of a word in my – if I said, um, did, you get, did you get Schnockenmeyer this weekend? You would look at me and go, what? Uh, nope. Okay. <laughs> no idea. Okay. And, and consciously what you're trying to do is figure out what? What Schnunkenmeyer is. Okay. But unconsciously, you processed all those sounds without thinking about them. Right? You processed syllabic structure. You processed it as an adjective. You did all kinds of things with that word in that sentence while your conscious attention was on, what does this word mean? There's a word here I don't mean. And so that's what second language learners do. When they're trying to, when they're trying to work through input, um, they, are, they are using conscious knowledge to try to figure out what, th they have strategies for trying to figure out what things mean. But unconsciously, they're processing structure because um, they have to. Because if you try to process structure consciously, you go crazy, right? Mm. Try, to, try to imagine a beginning language learner uh, processing any sentence in a language with conscious knowledge and complete conscious processes. Because between, between syntax, morphology, the sound system, what we call phonology, articulation, the pragmatics, everything else, you would go crazy. You couldn't do it. Okay? Um, 
And I'm going to make a comment later after we hear about some of your readings because I know what you guys are going to talk about later on with your readings and your quotes. Um, So I'm going to challenge our listeners and I'm going to say that no, conscious knowledge has no significant role in second language acquisition. Um, And in fact, I think we said this before in a previous show, but again, this is a topic that keeps coming back. Um, And that's that the research outside of language, that is in human learning in general, um, the trend in psychology, and it's a very strong tw- trend with a lot of empirical research, is moving toward the idea that almost all learning is impl- implicit or unconscious. That is, um, you don't learn things consciously. You learn them, ap- you learn them unconsciously or implicitly. Um, and then later on, if we have time, we can talk about all the research that shows or purports to show that there's an effect for conscious knowledge in second language acquisition. Um, the problem with that is the experimentation and, and measurements and so on. Um, but, you know, this is not a show about second language acquisition research per se. But if people want to get into that, I can make a couple comments about that. Okay. And then finally, I'm going to go ahead and say this um, because this is going to – well, actually, let me go to the tweets first. I'm going to go to the tweets real quick um, that were fresh off the press. Luca does a great job of getting this to us, so I'm going to use those. I'm going to read a few out loud. Um, that came in, and then I'm going to use them to preface a comment I'm going to make. Okay. Um, so Laura says, for example, that conscious knowledge helps organize input to grasp patterns and relationships. Okay. Uh, Senor Schwab says nothing. That is, conscious knowledge plays no role. Um, and then uh, Mark says, possibly conscious knowledge is a foundation upon which to build further schematic knowledge. Um, and then Rachel says conscious knowledge probably has not much to do in acquisition, but it may be more useful in production. And then later on, Sarah says, I have no answer, but a de, de Kaiserish, referring to Robert de Kaiser, um, question instead, if consciously learned knowledge is able to be automatized and look unconscious, who cares about the question? Okay. Notice what what I the reason I read out those tweets those tweets out is that um, I know I just I'm sorry that was that was a slip of the tongue because I'm just <laughs> I'm just so tired I'm tired I'm drugged up I have been taking so much we su- don't want to hear Sudafed about that. and Metamucil too oh. not Metamucil what do you call it See, I can't even remember <laughs> I don't I do I, I do not take Metamucil what's that stuff you take for your congestion Mucinex Mucinex thank you. <laughs> <laughs> See, that was that was that was that was a access problem because they both begin with M and they're both medications and yada yada blah blah blah. And so I've been taking so much Mucinex and um, Sudafed that I'm just drugged up beyond belief. So I can barely get words out. I'm surprised I'm even talking right now. But anyway, when you look at all these tweets together and think about this, there is a problem. Do you know what the problem is, Walter? I'd like to hear what you think the problem is, Angelica. Do you know what the problem is? We don't know. I think I know what the problem is. That, as I said this before, and I'll say it again, is that in language teaching, we do not have a convergence of a working definition of what language is and no convergence on a working construct of what acquisition is. It seems to be that people um, think things But people don't have any really clearly articulate idea about what is language, what is in your head when you have language. Um, And then by the same token, there is no clear idea in people's minds how acquisition actually happens. Um, 
So, uh, for example, one of the uh, one of the comments here uh, about conscious knowledge helps organize input to grasp patterns in relationships. Language is not patterns in relationships, at least by the most definitions of language. And so, in input, um, there are no patterns and no rules to learn. Input is just a speech stream, or if you're signing, it's a it's a stream of gestures and signs, right? Uh, and and what the the way the mind works is the mind imposes regularity on things it perceives. It organizes data to do that. That's what its job is. But out there, what actually exists is just a jumble of things. And so we're literally, we're, our brains are hardwired to, to do something. And so it, it's, not that, it, it's, not, it, it, it's not that conscious knowledge gives you those patterns and regularities, not that I believe that those exist, but it's your mind takes data and puts it in certain ways so that it can become useful to the way your mind works. Because that's what humans do. Okay, so there we go. Um, so I think the, the basic problem we have in the field is that we don't have working definitions of language and working definitions of acquisition that we agree on that we can work with. And that's why I think we have different opinions on this topic. And that's why it keeps coming back. Okay, so if you want to get in this conversation, again, the number to reach us at is 517-884-4321. Again, that's 517-884-4321. Should I give people the uh, SLA challenge question now? Yeah, I think, I think that would be great. That. And that'll get people going. Since we're talk on the topic of um, consciousness, here's the SLA challenge question. As usual, I will read it twice. Not thrice, but twice. Not once, but twice. <laughs> okay. How right. many times will you read the question? I will read it two times. Okay, thank you. Okay. Read the question. Okay. Oh, wait, sorry. Here we go. Who wrote the seminal article, quote, The Role of Consciousness in Second Language Acquisition, unquote, in 1990? Again, who wrote the seminal article, quote, The Role of Consciousness in Second Language Acquisition, end of quote, in 1990? Colin, if you know that. And you will win a prize. All righty, right. What are we giving out as prizes these days? I think we gave away most of our prizes at Actful, didn't we? Uh, <laughs> we still have a well, we have good things. number. Huh? And we're going to be ordering some things over the holiday season, so we have some fresh prizes coming in from um, – from, I just lost my train of thought. See, that, the prizes that are coming. Metamucil just kicked in. <laughs> I mean the Mucinex just kicked in. <laughs> <laughs> the prizes are coming, in other words. <laughs> That's the important thing. Well, Walter, I was going to have you read your segment next, but we've got a call coming in, so I'm going to go ahead and take that call first. Do you mind? Go right ahead. Okay, we have a caller, Megan, from Mississippi calling. Megan, are you on the line? I am. Hey, Megan, your voice sounds familiar. I think I know who you are. <laughs> I thought you might recognize it. Yeah. So Hi, how are Megan. How are things down Hi. in Mississippi? They're good. We finished classes yesterday, so I'm finally not teaching during UDP. Wow. Well, great, great. So what are you calling it about? What's going on? Well, I had a comment slash question for you. Well, something, oh. a comment that you might want to comment on, if that makes sense. Okie um, dokies. Don't make it too hard, you know. I'm, I'm on medication right now. <laughs> He's taking Metamucil. <laughs> I just, well, it seems to me that something else that's going on in this discussion about conscious knowledge um, has to do with, like, the expectations we bring to how we think about things and our own experiences. So I just actually finished reading Rod Ellis's piece in Language Learning in 2004, where he's trying to define explicit knowledge. And part of what he does is he says that um, there's a lot of evidence from 
child language development that kids who end up being good readers and sort of a relatively high language proficiency end up with this ability to consciously reflect on their language use. The problem, of course, is that kids learn what he would call implicit knowledge implicitly before they ever develop this metalinguistic awareness. And so it seems to me that part of what's going on here is this sort of reading back into the process. Like, we know that there is this capacity to reflect on language, therefore people need that, need to be reflecting on language to acquire it. And I think that that's sort of a fallacy, and I wondered if that's what's going on here and you wanted to comment on that. I, I, I agree with you, and I think I think I think you're absolutely right. You hit, you hit a, a one of the nails on the head there, Megan. Um, I think it's kind of like reverse logic in a certain sense that um, if you can develop um, conscious knowledge about something, it must be useful some way. So if you work backwards, let's take that conscious knowledge and then see if we can get language in your head. And, and right. I think that's a problem with the thinking. Um, the fact that you, the fact that humans have consciousness and can develop conscious knowledge doesn't necessarily mean that's useful for anything. I, I mean, let me, I mean, <laughs> it, 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 it can be useful. Don't let me, before my, before my listeners start tweeting and texting and, and, and calling in, conscious knowledge can be useful things, but there are some things it clearly cannot be useful for. Um, it, it cannot, it, it, it cannot be useful um, in certain kinds of situations um, where instinct, for example, needs to drive what a human being does instead of conscious knowledge. Um, for example, in emergency situations. Um, it cannot, I mean, conscious knowledge is about organizing ideas, not about organizing the underlying processes, if that makes any sense. Does it make sense to you, Megan? So you can, conscious knowledge, you can organize certain ideas, but you can't organize underlying processes. And because language acquisition is a process, um, it's not. It, it, I, I just think that people have the, the logic reversed on the role of conscious knowledge in there. Did we lose Megan? Oh, we lost Megan. Here, so so much for our four, our new phone lines. <laughs> <laughs> My God, what kind of a cocktail situation is this? See there, because I'm speaking Yiddish again. Look at that. That's not a good word in German. Well, I'm sure it's not a good word in Yiddish either. Well, you know, it, it's 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 so it it depends. <laughs> it depends. It on, depends. It depends. Funny, it it depends. depends. <laughs> if you speak it with force, it can be really nasty. But if you just speak it in a normal tone, it just means like. Oh, I know what it means. Crappy. Oh. <laughs> so. Depends, right? Right. All right. So while we're trying to get Megan back, we're trying to get Megan back or whoever we're trying to get on the phone now. Walter, why don't you go ahead and uh, tell people what our, your reading is this week that you're going to recommend to them. I'm going to read to you my reading. No, actually, I will say this, that I'm not allowed to do the reading I was thinking I was going to do because the reading I think I was going to do is going to give you the answer to the SLA challenge question. So Correct. Mm-hmm. But I would say read that article. It's a good one. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I won't tell you who it's by. Okay. Megan's back. Okay. Oh, yeah. so, Oh, there, she back. there she is. Oh, my gosh. What are you on, Verizon or something? Your, your call got dropped. I'm just kidding. Can you hear me now? Well, actually, <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> no comments. Anyway, so I don't know if you heard what I said, Megan, that— I did not hear most of it. Something I, about— I, I, I'll just repeat for you real quick because um, I know we yeah. got some other callers lining up already. But what I said was that—I uh, think you heard the part where I said I think people get it backwards. And part yeah. of the problem is that— Conscious knowledge can be good for organizing ideas, but conscious knowledge cannot organize processes or influence processes. And language acquisition is a set of processes that have to happen. 
Um, and so that 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 and processes on a particular kind of data, and conscious knowledge cannot influence those processes. This goes back to what I said earlier in the show: is that we have to have clear ideas and definitions about what acquisition is, as well as language. But okay. Well, and, you and I have had plenty of those conversations. So we've had a few yeah, of those. Yes. I'm, yeah, but I thought that that was. Uh, I, I think there's something else going on here, which is like. We just make assumptions that are maybe we should question our assumptions more too. Absolutely, uh, we should question our assumptions. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, All right. Anything else, Megan? Before I before I shut you off here. <laughs> no, you can shut me off. I miss you guys. Oh, well, we come back too, and visit Megan. us. For those of you in the audience, <laughs> Megan used to live here in East Lansing. Um, she got her PhD here. That's how we know Megan. So. We're very proud of Megan. She's got a stellar career started, and we're happy that you can listen to Tea with VVP now that you're not teaching anymore. In fact, if I remember correctly, Megan, it was at your birthday party two years ago that the idea of Tea with VVP first was discussed. Is that not the case? I think that is the case. Yes. You, so I you know, I forgot it. about that. That is absolutely correct. Well, so Megan, everybody out there, you know, give kudos to Megan because it was her birthday that got us thinking about Tea with VVP. Go, Megan. All right, well, Megan, thanks for Bye. calling in. Yep, enjoy. Thanks, we'll Megan. We'll talk to you later. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Have a great time. Bye. Bye-bye. All righty, right, right, right. Walter, tell us what your reading is. All right. <coughs> Sorry. I just took a sip of water and it went down the wrong tube, so <clears throat> I'll be coughing here like Bill. Uh, so as I mentioned, this is <coughs> backup read. And, Would you uh, like for me to do this for you, Walter? Are right. you going to cough no, the whole thing? Okay. Sorry about that, everybody. Uh, this is an, actually an entire magazine, and, and Bill happened to find this at the uh, uh, at a store. So if you go through you know, the checkout aisle, then hopefully you'll be able to find it there. It's a magazine put out by BBC from the editors of Science Focus, and it is called The Amazing Brain, The Newest Discoveries About Memory, Consciousness, and Free Will. So, BBC, The Amazing Brain, check it out as you're checking out, you know, the magazines, as you're walking through the grocery store aisle, you might find it there and find something interesting in there to read about consciousness and memory, The Amazing Brain. We do have amazing brains. Amazing brains. So, I have to ask you a question that someone asked me, well, I think it was while we were at Actful or somewhere. Someone said, why does Bill always refer to... He never says the mind or the brain. You always say the mind brain. And I said, well, I'll have to ask him that on the air sometime. So Mm -hmm. why do you always say in the mind brain as one kind of... Mind slash brain? Right. Yeah. Because the mind is the overt manifestation of things that happen physiologically in the the physical space called the brain. So the mind is is what we consider to be memory and thought and all those kinds of processes. Whereas the brain is the thing we consider to be gray matter and neurons. So that's why I say the mind slash brain. Because it's not clear to me. I mean, the mind is epiphenomenal to the brain when you think about it. Um, uh, you know, we, we, I could just easily say brain because the mind is just this, whole, you know, my perspective on consciousness is it's all an illusion anyway. So it is um, because we're just brains projecting stuff out there. So. There. All right. There. Whoever asked me that question, now you have an answer. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, we got another call on the line. We have, um, I think if I can pronounce the name correctly, is it Asenur? Asenur? Yes. Asenur. 
Hey, from Indiana. Did I pronounce your name correctly? Yes, that is correct. And well, this is my second time. I'm happy. Oh, okay. Because I, I thought you looked familiar, but I want to. I, I wasn't quite sure because my sight's a little funny today. Because my the medication I'm taking is making my eyes a little blurry. Because um, I think I've been. Yeah. You know, I have to misspell my name. So actually, you know, the, without the diacriticals, it's really hard to pronounce it correctly. So. Ah, okay. That's why there's no diacriticals. Okay, there you go. So you're calling about the SLA <laughs> challenge question, right? That is correct. Well, great. Well, let me read it again for the audience out there listening, and then you can give us the answer. Here's the question. Who wrote the seminal article, The Role of Consciousness in Second Language Acquisition, in 1990? Take it away. Okay. Um, So, I believe Richard Schmidt wrote it from North of Hawaii, Manoa. Yes, he did. Richard Schmidt. Ding, 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 ding. ding that ding, is the awesome. correct answer. <laughs> published, um, you get a bonus You get a bonus point, Asinur, if you know um, what journal it was published in. Do you know? Um, I mean, he. I think he wrote it many times. I just tried to remember it. First in Applied Linguistics, I think, and it's also on his website, like the NFL Center. Right, right, right. But it was originally, you're right. It was originally published in the Journal of Applied Linguistics. Good for you. Well, great. Yay. Great. Now, I'm assuming that, I'm assuming, uh, are you familiar with that article? Yes. I read it, actually. um, I was thinking about conducting my research on explicit and implicit pragmatic competence, like pragmatic knowledge, Mm -hmm. um, because there isn't much about it. And I understand that that we, we have the processes and they're mostly unconscious. But... In pragmatics, especially, uh, we are taught pragmatics, even in our native language. You're right. What is the magical word? Like, what is the right word? That's kind of explicit. So I was wondering what you all think about that in terms of not morphosyntactically, but pragmatics or semantics. Well, unlike... unlike morphosyntax, I think some things in pragmatics are learned implicitly and some things are learned explicitly. Some things things you, you pick up because it's part of the input interaction. Um, and then, for example, like no speaker of English picks up explicitly or is taught explicitly that WH questions um, can be a recommendation. So like if I, if I tell Angelica, you look tired, why don't you take a break? She'll, go, she'll say, good idea. That why don't you take a break is not a typical WH question that requires an answer. It's a recommendation. She knows that. So she interprets the speech act, but nobody has to, nobody told her to do that, nobody taught her to, no English speaker... No. Learns that. So there are some parts of pragmatics that are learned implicitly, both in first and second yeah. language acquisition. And then I think there are some parts that can and probably are learned explicitly because mm-hmm. they're tied mm-hmm. to social norms and other things too. Mm-hmm. So I think you're right. So and I think there that's are also interesting. some things that we all share, like universal, I believe. In not, not everything, but in literature, I realize I'm, I'm a native speaker of Turkish and I can see how that. Um, helps. I mean, how implicature in Turkish sometimes similar to implicature in English, and sometimes it's not. <laughs> right, exactly. And so those cross linguistic differences in communication are the ones that are prime for. Re- I, th- I think it's a good research you're doing. So good for you. I, I hope you. Get, I hope you get to do that. So. And I, so. I, and I, I think, have to think more about suspense, <laughs> well, good luck on that. Um, I know you're in Indiana. Yeah. You're with good hands there working on that. So I'm going to turn you back to Dustin. Did you give Dustin your information so he can? Um, yeah, he's giving yeah. me a thumbs up. Okay, uh-huh. so we will send you your prize in the mail um, the next couple of days, and uh, hopefully you'll get so it soon. Okay, all right. Thank you for calling in. Thanks for calling. Thanks for calling. Bye bye. Bye. Thank you. Uh, there. See, th- that's a good example of having a 
a concept of language in your head, how language works. And mm-hmm. she's bringing another di- – language is so complex. She's bringing another dimension of language and pragmatics, and I think that's important. Okay. Um, all right. Let me give people the Diva Challenge question while we're waiting f- uh, for the next caller, which is uh, about to come through, I think. The Diva Challenge question is the following. You ready for this? Let's hear it. Which diva of song and movies failed to make it to the top five in American Idol but then went on to win an Oscar in 2007 for her supporting role as Elfie White? Walt, did you know that? I haven't the slightest clue. I was sorry. <laughs> Which diva of song and movies failed to make it to the top five in American Idol but then went on to win an Oscar in 2007 for her supporting role as Elfie White? This is a great question. Love it. Love it. Okay. All right. Uh, we have another caller this time from, yay, my own stopping ground, Chicago. Sean, are you there on the line? I am, Bill. How are you doing? I'm doing great, Sean. Welcome to Tea with VVP. What's going on? How's Chicago these days? It's great. Uh, I was just in here for a really good Thanksgiving break. So, Well, I have to tell you, I'm just fatutzed. I, I'm just, I'm, I, I'm flummoxed. I don't know what the word is I am. Because my favorite restaurant of good friends of mine, that was the restaurant that was on the next block where I lived in Chicago, closed yesterday. It was their last day. They're retiring oh and moving God. to Mexico. Do you know the restaurant South Picon on Well Street? I don't. I don't. It was like uh, uh, Rick Bayless and um, and my friend Priscilla Satkoff were like the two top Mexican chefs in Chicago. And she uh-huh. and her husband just closed their restaurant and they're going to move to Mexico this January. I went there with you once. Is that Remember that? Right? Yes. Yeah. So I was just, I found that out. Yeah, I was just like, why didn't they tell me? Of course, I haven't talk, spoken to them in Chicago. Um, oh, I want Sean. Sean, this is about you, not about me. So, Sean. <laughs> All right. So, Sean, what's on your mind? So, I've had a question for a few weeks now going back to uh, a couple episodes ago, which is basically, what do you do? You do a lot of research, and you've brought a lot of that research to us, and it's been awesome. Um, but I well, know that a you. lot of times when we do studies on, or when we research studies, we find conflicting information. So I was just wondering what you do whenever you find uh, conflicting studies, how you decide which one to believe and which one to, to reject or at least further evaluate. Yeah, it always comes down to methodology for me. Um, because I just read, uh, reread a study um, because Eric Harmon reminded me of the study that I had read um, th- this last year um, that purported to show that um, you can alter stage development or um, it goes against Peniman's claim that, that, you, you, can, um, that you can teach people. You can't, what Peniman claims is you can't teach people something that's beyond the next level, uh, the next stage they're ready to acquire. In a particular okay. structure or thing. And so this particular research claimed that you could. And then so I went back and reread it. And sure enough, you know, you always go to the methodology. And it's their data elicitation measure and how it is they got oral data from the learners to, um, to show what they wanted to show, which they argued against Montfort Pinot's position. So when you take that and you go, okay, let's look at the way they gathered their data and then compare it to all the studies that Montfort Pinot and his cohorts have done over the years, it's quite different. It's different data gathering. And um, it's not clear to me that the, the measurement they used in this particular study I'm referring to, which I'm not going to say in the air which one it is, um, <laughs> is an adequate measure of spontaneous language use. And, um, and so, it, it, so when, I, when I do research and I look at things, I ask myself always, what measurements are they using? And 
uh, what claims are they making and does the measurement they use, can, can that measurement actually support the claims they're making? Um, and so that, that's the first thing I always look at when I look at conflicting things. Because that's usually where you find it. You usually find it in, in some aspect of the methodology. Okay. Does that that's help? Great. Yeah, absolutely, it does. You're going to go out there and read some research now, Sean? I, I uh, definitely. I, I can't wait to uh, finish up our MAFL semester so that I can go uh, read some of the books that you've written once I have the free time to do that. Oh, well, okay, well. Yeah. Well, it's nice talking to you, Sean. Hope to meet you sometime. If I haven't, have we met? I don't think we've met. I don't recognize uh, No, you. I've just called in a few times. Okay. Well, hopefully we'll meet sometime and we'll chat in person about all these questions you have because you got some great questions. Okay? Sounds great, well, Bill. Thanks Have a, a great day. Enjoy this, this lovely weather we're having up here. We really are. It's amazing for December in Chicago. I know. All right. Talk all right, to you soon. Bye-bye. Bye, Sean. Right. Okay, Bye, Sean. Later. All right. Angelica, what's going on in Mixler? Anything coming up on Mixler? Oh, yeah. 5,000 million questions. Oh, I'm sure. Can I ask one? Why don't one? they call ask in? Ask one. Ask one. Well, because a lot of those people are actually teaching, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> or they're well, listening. I mean, they can't be teaching. Listening while they're teaching. Yeah, I mean, you can't do that. But um, So can I ask a quick question? Yeah. Um, so a few people have been discussing, um, is it okay to teach some explicit knowledge of language to facilitate comprehension? Let's say I want to teach them question formation. Will that help them understand questions? It, it depends. Not necessarily. Um, for example, um, the, the, because questions are a complex things of prosody, morphology, and syntax. It all happens together. And so you don't know what learners are queuing in on to figure out some things a question. Um, but l let's just remind everybody that teaching somebody explicitly never killed anybody. So it's not that, that it's not like brain surgery where if you drop the scalpel on the brain, you know, you're going to kill the patient. <laughs> it, it's not like that. So if you if you do something explicit, then nobody's nobody's tying your hands saying you can't do it. What we're saying is that don't. What I'm saying is don't expect that to be the route by which systematically people get stuff in their heads because it just cannot be. Now, here's an example of how telling somebody something explicitly might help. Okay, so I'm an ESL teacher, right? So I say, um, when you hear like a t or d at the end of a verb, that means it's the past. So like, listen to the difference. Watch, watched. Can you hear the difference? And Angela goes, yeah, okay. So whenever you hear watch, you know I'm talking about the past. That's it. That's the explanation. That helps them, comp that might help them tag the meaning of pastness onto watched. And after they get lots and lots of examples of what, um, they start to process watched, looked, you know, all those different um, past tense verbs in the input, and they can tag pastness onto each one, they can start to build up that complex network in the lexicon that allows them to derive the morphology for pastness. So that's an example of how something might help comprehension, right? Um, or um, I could, with, with, with purely formal things like syntactic stuff, very little explicit stuff can help syntax. Um, very little. Um, that stuff is going to take care of itself through the computational network of the, of the mind-brain. There, I just said mind-brain. That's right. There you go. I'm so tired. Oh, there, I said that too. <laughs> I, thought they were both, I thought I'd get them both in at once. How's that? So that was a good question, Angelica. Thanks for that. Well, thanks to the Mixler crowd. Yes. Okay, we got another call here. We got Josh from Baltimore, MD. Josh, are you on the line? Yes, hello. Hey, Josh. How you doing? Good. How are you? I'm great. Welcome to Tea with VVP. What's on your mind? Well, um, I, uh, I gave a presentation at our county's uh, conference uh, last week on uh, kind of just general 
um, principles that you've talked about on the show to familiarize everyone with them. Um, and when we got to the topic of today, I brought up your ice water metaphor that you already explained earlier again in this show. Um, but I also came up with another one that I thought of, and I wanted to put it out there to you, see what you thought of it, and if it was a good metaphor or not. All right. Well, let's hear it. I like metaphors. Go for it. Um, so basically taking the uh, explicit knowledge about language that one might teach um, would kind of be like feeding the wrong type of data to the mechanisms uh, that help us acquire language. And so because they can't read that data, would it be similar to saying you're trying to play music by putting a CD on a record player? In a certain sense, you could say that, yeah. I mean, whenever you've got the wrong data in the wrong system, um, you're, you're, I think you're coming up with the right kind of thing, Josh, because what we're getting at is that the mind-brain, Walter, the mind-brain is wired in particular ways to read certain kinds of data for language acquisition and not other kinds of data. Right, so it, it's it's wired to read input data and only input data, and, and input data that's contextualized, that's communicative data, right? Um, and so, um, so if your brain is a is if your brain is a DVD player, it's not going to read a CD. If your brain is a CD uh, player, it's not going to read a uh, well. That's not quite right because a lot of things now read both um, <laughs> because they've combined them. Um, no, because they've actually well, yeah, yeah, they put yeah, double processors yeah, in them. Yeah, yeah so. Um, but you get what I'm saying is so your your brain is not uh, your, your your brain is is, is wired to, to read certain kinds of data, and it's it's evolved that way um, for a reason, and so um, so anytime you can come up with a metaphor um, where it's like putting a CD in a record player, it would be appropriate because a record player cannot read a CD, in the same way a CD player or a DVD player cannot read a long playing album, right? Yeah, the the data that are encoded are just wrong. So yeah, so okay. I like that. That's good. Great, thanks. Well, That's good, good to know. You, Josh. Um, also, had a question then. Go ahead. Um, uh, does this you've you've uh, talked about on the show in the past the idea of uh, you know something that kind of seems like uh, you know is is communication from the students, but uh, is actually uh, just really language like behavior. And uh, I, I, I was thinking, uh, does, does that tie into this topic today, kind of on the output side of things? Like if students are trying to, you know, practice, you know, basically you're giving them output activities, you know, for the sake of practicing some explicit knowledge. Um, they're creating in that moment essentially language-like behavior, right? It might seem like they're putting these sentences out there, and if they do it right, they may be grammatically correct and achieving our goal in that sense, but it's not necessarily communication. So does that kind of tie in with the topic? A sort of, sort of. Um, Language-like behavior can be communication. Let's make sure communication is expression, interpretation, negotiation, meaning, right? And so if learners are trying to express meaning, but they're doing it through language-like behavior, that's still a kind of communication. Communication and language are distinct things, right? So, um, so let's make sure that I want to make sure everybody out there in the audience is, is clear about, about what we mean there. Um, but what you did say earlier, I agree with, that language-like behavior, if learners learn something and then try to put it to use um, in, in some way, that is language-like behavior as opposed to actual tapping your system and using it to, to produce language. Um, so, and language-like behavior actually runs out of steam after a while um, because it can only get you so far. Gotcha. Okay. Well, thank you. Okay. Well, thanks a lot, Josh. 
Um, have a all great right. have a great rest of the day. Thank you. Okay. you Thanks well. for calling, Josh. Bye, Josh. Auf Wiederhören. Sehr schön. Oh, look at that. We got some German. That was great. Okay. I'm the good for Josh that he went out there and gave a presentation. Isn't that neat? Yeah, right? I, it's that, awesome. It takes, people don't realize it takes a lot to stand up in front of a crowd and do something. So, Angelica, are you going to give us a quick quote for the week? Yeah, absolutely. I know your quote. I love this quote. Yeah, and it actually... It's yeah, going to freak people out. I know. I should have said it a little bit earlier when we were talking about this. But here goes the quote of the week about free will. Neuroscientists peering into our brains are becoming ever more convinced that free will is simply a creation of our mind that allows us a sense of control. Bam. Yes. Drop the mic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's, that's what I think about consciousness sometimes, too. I think consciousness is often epiphenomenal to the essence of what a human being is. And consciousness also gives us a sense of control when we may or may not have that control. And this quote is out of the same magazine that Walter was mentioning earlier. I tell you, so. it's a good magazine. Y'all got to go to the yep, stands the and get that. The Amazing Brain. Go buy it. <coughs> the Amazing Brain. Well, thank you, Angelica. Absolutely. So none of us have free will. Actually, I don't think that's what the neuroscientists are saying. By the way, there's another good book out there about free will that Sam Harris wrote hmm. called Free Will. Hmm. Um, it's a little short book. You can sit down and read it in the afternoon. It's a great book. Sam Harris is, a, is a, actually a neuro, a neurocognitive scientist. Uh, or a neuroscientist, I should say. And he's done a lot of work on this kind of stuff. And so, and his conclusion in his book is, yeah, free will ain't at all it's cracked up to be. Hmm. All right. We got, oh, look, we got a call from Brazil, it looks like. Awesome. Brazil. Yeah. Some Brazil. We got a call from Brazil. So we have Luis from Brazil. Luis, are you on the phone? Luis, are you there? Hello, BVP. Hello. How are you doing? Are you calling yeah. from Brazil? I'm calling from Brazil, actually from Recife, northeastern Brazil. Oh, from Recife. Okay, great. Nossa! Yeah, the Walter speaks Portuguese, Brazilian Portuguese. <laughs> he can talk to you later after the show's <laughs> over. <laughs> I don't speak Brazil. I don't speak any Portuguese except a few words here and there. So, all right. So my understanding That's is great. that you've got you're going to answer the Diva Challenge question. Is that correct? That's correct. Exactly. Okay. Well, let me say the question over for everybody again, and then um, I'll let you answer it. So here's the question. Which diva of song and movies failed to make it to the top five in American Idol, but then went on to win an Oscar in 2007 for her supporting role as Elfie White? Luis, what's the answer? Jennifer Hudson. Yay! Yay. Ding, 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 ding. Jennifer Hudson. Excellent. <laughs> Who's Jennifer Walter. Hudson? Get out of here. Well, good for you. Okay, okay. see? So see, you. Walter, he's Actually, he's down in Recife and he knows the answer. Walter doesn't know the answer. <laughs> go, go ahead, Luis. What were you going to say, Luis? I got, I, I, got a, I got a lot of comprehensible input from American Idol. Mm. There you <laughs> go. <laughs> there you go. The power, the power of song and the power of Simon Cowell. Look at that. There you go. That's right. <laughs> okay, well, Luis, um, did, you, did you give all your information to Dustin already? Did you give your... No, because... Yeah. Okay, so Dustin's got your information. So, uh -huh. Dustin, so we've got that, and so we'll be sending your prize out to you in the next couple of days, okay? Fantastic. Thank you so very much, BVP. Th and, uh, thank thank you. Thank you. Congratulations on your show. It's oh, fantastic. well, thank you. Thank you for calling in. Have a great day. Enjoy your weather down there. Appreciate it. Okay. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye, okay. Luis. Luis. Ciao, ciao. Bye. That's great. All the way from Brazil. Look at that. We've got callers. We've had callers from Japan. We've had callers from, what, Sweden. We've had callers from... Different parts of Europe, actually. We've had callers from Mexico, Chile, now Brazil. Where else have we had callers from? 
I don't remember a lot of places, though. I'm very disappointed in East you Lansing? today, though. Why? Because it is one of your favorite divas' birthday today, and I assumed that your question would be about this particular. <laughs> oh no, 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 no that, would, that would be too. That would have been too obvious. Oh. I already sent her a birthday tweet today. Oh yeah. Yes, I did. You can tell people who it is if you want. Bette Midler's birthday yes. today. She is <laughs> 71 years old today. I know. My gosh. I tell you. And she's, um, I already got a bunch of emails from people today because it was her birthday saying, are you going to go see her on Broadway and Hello, Dolly? And of course I am. <laughs> All right. We got another call on the line. We've got Emma from France calling. Hey, Emma. How you doing? Hi there. How are you guys? Is, Emma. Is this our Emma that used to work with us? It is indeed. Why, Emma? That's great to hear from you. Hi, Emma. Hi there. You guys, it's late. I, I need to go to bed. Well, then yeah, hurry no it up. You what do, are you calling about then? What are you doing up so late if you're talking to us? What's going on? Well, um, my life has not been dictated by free will. It's been dictated by my, ex, uh, my access to Wi-Fi. And so I finally <laughs> have mastered it. I have my little perch in this corner of my apartment so that I can actually listen to a live episode and partake. So I'm, I'm finally content. Excellent. Well, awesome. good. Great. Well, good. What's well, good to hear from you? Are you calling with a question or a comment? Or you just want to say hi? Or what's going on? Well, definitely wanted to say hi, but I also have a question. Okay. So while I'm out here, I'm working in middle schools uh, teaching English here in France. And uh, a lot of times my students will start a sentence in English and use a French construction, for example, saying that um, they have an age instead of saying, I am 12 years old, for example. Um, I've found myself wanting to tell them, like, the direct, either the direct translation or trying to, like, make a note of how you would say it in English. What, what would you think would be the best approach to not give them explicit grammar, but what would be the best way to correct in that sort of situation or, or guide, rather, in that situation? They just need more input. Think of some activities where, for example, like, um, like so Walter just said, for example, that Bette Midler turned 71 today, right? So what famous people do they know? And I would have a list of, of statements on a screen, because uh, I use PowerPoint, like 10 in a row. And one would say, I am 71 years old. Who am I? And the next one will say, I am. And so they all say, I am. And so they just hear over, because they're not hearing and seeing enough. I am, I am, you are, you are, with age. And that's what, again, it's just that buildup of the network in the head. Um, and eventually that will probably go quick, go away quicker um, than, um, and it doesn't hurt to remind them explicitly at the beginning. Just remember, you don't say have when you talk about age. You say, you, you use be. And then you just have some input activities where you just, just douse them with, with tons of input with that. Um, you'd be you'd be surprised okay. how quick that quick that can take care of some things like that, because those are lexical issues, um, and they're more readily fixable um, than morphosyntactic issues that that might take a little bit more processing time over over, you know, a little more processing time over calendar time, I should say. So. Okay, because they they got to do a fun activity today where they were all different people at a party and they they had to go around and figure out who was who and how old everybody was and what city and country they were from. So they got to hear it more today. So hopefully we'll, we'll, we'll break it down and, and figure out the correct way to say it. Right. Yeah. And so they just need, they just need to hear lots and lots of examples. And they will. They'll, they'll, they'll get it. So, yeah. And which, well, thank and which you so much for taking my, my question. Well, you're welcome. Thank you for calling in. We appreciate hearing from you. And we're glad to hear from you, Emma. 
Hope everything is going great in France for you. Thanks so much. Yeah, it's so far so good. Okay, well, we miss you here. Yep, we do, Emma. You are dearly missed. Okay. All well, right, abiento, guys, as we say. You. Abiento. Au revoir. Okay. Au revoir. Abiento. Bye, Bye. Emma. Oh, sweet Emma. We haven't heard from Emma in ages. I know. That was, that was nice of you to call in. Mm-hmm. Well, look at that today. We are like international. We had people from Chicago, Baltimore, Brazil, France. Who else called today? Mississippi. Indiana, Mississippi. Yeah. We are just getting all kinds Love of calls it. in today. Love it. Love it. From all over the place. Any last minute thoughts on consciousness from our tweeters and our mixlers or anything like that before we want to? Uh, I don't know, but I don't think I'm going to be conscious for much longer because I'm so tired. Oh, Walter. <laughs> <And> <laughs> I'm going I'm to hit with my water bottle in a minute. Angelic, anything more happening in Mixler before we start to wrap up here? Well, lots of things are happening on Mixler, but I think we're pretty good with questions. Walter, do you have anything? There's so many, but alas, I'm not sure which we should get to. Uh, Do you have, here, I have a short one. Right? It was this a short is, one. God, we had about two minutes. For yeah, this is actually from Luis, who I'm, I'm assuming the one who just called. He says, I recently sat for a French proficiency exam, and I got advanced reading comprehension, upper intermediate speaking proficiency, and low intermediate listening comprehension. Does it mean that my actual level in French is somewhere between the intermediate stages of the language despite of my advanced reading comprehension skill? There it is. The answer is no. The answer is because uh, don't confuse language – with skill. And you can have different levels of skill while having one level of language. So you've got language in your head, that representation, um, and because skill involves strategies and like in reading you can guess and deduce things from context and so on. Um, that might be harder to do while you're listening or speaking and so on. So your skill rates might be different among different skills because you have different processes involved there. Um, and, diff- and not in the process, but different strategies and things you're doing. Whereas language sits in your head and it's just one thing. Um, so yeah, so don't don't confuse skills with with language in your head. So your whatever your language is, it's there, but then it's manifesting itself in, with different skills because of of a variety of reasons. It's skill development is 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 not well understood in my mind in second language acquisition. So, well, there you have it, ladies and gentlemen. Well, that was a good question. No other questions. None that are short. My God. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, there are lots of questions here. Okay, I guess maybe I have one more short one. Well, you got like you you got like 30 seconds. Okay. This, you may not know of anything. That's why it could be short. But it says, this is from Terry. She says, I'm working with an Ohio university that would like to change their entire curriculum, weaning from a textbook and see, and see that the task is daunting. They're not the only ones who are looking to do that. Is there any sort of consortium or leadership to bring these scattered groups together? Are there any groups that are helping people to say adios textbook and no? Maybe we should make one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So let's. Why don't you send a response back to Terry and say, hey, Terry, let's make let's let's put one together. That'd be a good thing. All right. We could do a, a SIG, a special interest group for ACTL called the Textbookless Special Interest Group. There you go. <laughs> let's do that. All right. Time to start wrapping up here. Before we run out of time, we're going to do our acknowledgments. We want to begin by thanking who, Walter? Our technical producer. Danielito. Daniel Trego. And our media producer, Luca Giappone. Always type it away back there on the screen for us to see things. The talented and trusted call handler and rustler, Dustin DeFelice. Our wonderful assistant production manager, Jeff Maloney. And also somebody who's working with me on some research right now. Great guy. The College of Arts and Letters at Michigan State University, especially our dean, Christopher Long. As a reminder, the ideas and opinions expressed in this program do not reflect those of the College of Arts and Letters any of our sponsors, or any other official entity of Michigan State University. 
And of course, we always thank our listeners out there and our fans and followers. We love you. Next week, I think we're going to talk about tasks next week. Well, we're getting a lot of requests about that. I think we're going to talk about tasks again next week. So we'll stay tuned and stay free to do that. Until then, have a great weekend. Stay away from people with the flu. And happy second language acquisition to all. Goodbye, everybody. Auf Wiedersehen. Bis nächste Woche. Da, 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 da. Mm-hmm. That sounded Russian almost at the end there. Really? It did. Nächste Woche? <laughs> that was no, Bill I, imitating, not Walter. I thought it was like something about vodka. What was that? <laughs> <laughs> Only, right? <laughs> <laughs>